welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I welcome you to Lunatic Mondays, the very first bilingual show for CSMP. And today we are taking out the fine cutlery, and we are all dressed up, and we are very happy because we are announcing a premiere. Yes, this is the third Monday of the month. And yes, you are listening to Lunatic Mondays. Why, you may ask? Well, let me answer. I am teaming up with one of the most wonderful humans that I ever met. And we are going to bring you some special Lunatic Mondays social justice series, series of programs. And I'm very happy to welcome my esteemed friend and colleague, Jake Bradley. Welcome, Jake. How are you? Thanks, Laura. I'm great. I'm so excited to have this platform, this opportunity to work on this project with you. Um, I'm so impressed with um, Lunatic Mondays and all of your podcast work, and I'm just really thrilled and grateful to have a chance to join you in this particular project, and I'm excited about the things we're going to talk about together. I am excited as well, and as you all know, um, well, Jake and I do a lot of activism. We try to do activism. I'm not going to speak for them, but I try to share my experiences with people and help them understand um, certain, you know, um, situations as a minority that sometimes we get uh, even even if we want it or not, we get to experience these things. And because of that, I chose to try to educate people and to share with them. And then Jake and I were talking about this, joining forces and work a little bit more on social justice. And I said, you know what, Jake? I already have a show. So why don't we just do it on the show? And they say yes. And well, that's how I remember but Jake, why don't you tell people how you remember? Uh, yeah, that sounds great to me. I've been um, doing various kinds of social justice discussion, education, mobilization, sensitivity building type um, efforts in my life, in my work, in my ministry, in my, um, in my involvement with Circle Sanctuary and so on. And um, have known Laura for a really long time and we've partnered together in um, lots of these kinds of efforts in the past, done various kinds of workshops and trainings and classes together, I think, um, if I recall. And I've been a guest on some of Laura's podcasts in the past. Um, that was fun. And so um, I was looking for more opportunities to collaborate with Laura in general um, and just really excited when she suggested that this was a possibility, a platform, a sort of ready-made opportunity to manifest um, what we both have as a passion, like Laura said, about 
um, sort of talking about um, the lived experiences of us and other people and how those might differ, differ from what people think of as the sort of dominant cultural norms and how who we are um, and how who we are in the world has such a huge impact on our, our life, our perspectives, the choices we have, the way people are with us and, and so on. So we've got lots of ideas for the future of this um, particular podcast series and um, just really excited to dive right in. Yes. And as you all might be listening already, this is our very first one. So being it is a pilot, we are kind of like introducing you to the topics and the format. Um, you're used to listen to me and Lunatic Monday is very playful and, um, you know, um, interviewing guests, talking about books and this and that, playing music, etc. I'm not saying, and I promise you, I'm not going to be serious. It's still Lunatic Mondays. But the, the concept and the format is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about serious topics. And we might keep it a little short because both Jake and I decided that we don't want it to be preachy. We don't want it to be like super deep. And, and I mean, it's going to be deep, but, you know, not something that is going to be dragging. So it's kind of like going to the point and giving some advice and pointers um, kind of the tip of the iceberg so you can go deeper and then um, learn on your own type of thing. Uh, we have planned to eventually invite other either uh, reverends from ministers from circle and or experts on different fields. But for the very first two, we decided that these are the cousins that are closest and dearest to our hearts. And so we're going to dig in with today. So today's topic is trans, non-binary, gender, queer people, allyship. And even though I have tried to educate myself, I have tried to be an ally, I am a, a self-identified queer, um, I still get confused with gender sexuality and representation so i think that is one of the things that is more confusing for folks out there so jake if you could help us kind of like break that down a little bit yeah sure i think people often get um those all those concepts kind of tangled up um the difference between our sex and our gender our gender identity, our gender expression, and our sexual orientation are all things that people get tangled up together. They connect with each other in various ways, but they're not the same thing. Um, and we each have a gender identity. We each express that gender identity in one way or another, maybe according to what our, our society, our dominant culture around us in that moment tells us is the normal or expected way to express that gender identity, or maybe not. Um, and we each have a sexual orientation, even if that sexual orientation is, no, thank you, I do not want anything to do with sex, in which case maybe you identify as asexual. Um, we each have each of these things, and not only are these things separate from each other, even though they're sort of tangled up and sometimes confusing, but 
all of these things about our identity are informed by other things about our identity, like our race, our religion, our nationality, our age, things to do with our bodies, so many things about our identities um, impact each other. And, and most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about who we are and how we know that and what the world around us tells us that should mean or not mean and how we feel about that. And if you're someone who doesn't think about it a lot, chances are that's probably because you fit what society thinks of as the sort of norm um, for what your gender is and how you think of that gender and how you express it. So maybe, you know, if you identify as a man, you were assigned that when you were born, you identified as a boy when you were little, then you grew up to identify as a man and you express your identity as a man in a way that people around you think is normal about how men are supposed to dress and act and behave. Um, and the things that people are supposed to like and how our voices are supposed to be and our fingernails and our haircuts and a thousand bazillion other things. Um, and if you're someone who society sees as normal in some way, you know, you're cisgender, you're heterosexual, you're white, you're a man, you're Christian, um, you're sort of middle upper class, things like that, right-handed you know, able-bodied, neurotypical, all those sorts of things. If you're um, one of, you know, if you're those things or, or people read you as those things, then you don't have to think about it very often, right? You don't have to think about, um, you know, what's my gender identity? How do I know what it is? What does it mean for how I want to perform that? How do I want to be seen in the world and so on? So I don't know, Laura, if that gets at what you were saying, I can say more about how sexual orientation and gender and sex are sort of tangled up together. Um, but does that make sense as a way to start that part? It does make a lot of sense. And I think that um, it is something so personal, right? That sure. we decide um, how to identify ourselves, how to even come out to people you know when we are perceived as cisgender and then we tell people like no I'm queer or I'm not binary or blah, blah blah and sometimes it causes a little bit of a surprise on people but um, I think that we have to be open that not not two hairs are the same so not two people are going to be the same and we have to understand and respect that um Another thing that I wanted to kind of like touch into is um, cisgender privilege and the fact that in this day and age, Gen Z and all that, um, some of that privilege shows when we don't even think about and we say, oh my God, there's so many more queer people now, or why are there so many transgender folks now? And historically, we know is not now. It mm. always has been there, but now we are becoming more educated and more um, celebrating of every different expression. Would you like to tap into that a little bit? Sure. Well, um, the way we think about gender 
um, and I use the word we loosely or whatever, but the way society or any particular cultural context that you're in thinks about gender is very much um, unique in some regards to that precise context. Um, so what I mean is that how we think about gender is something that varies quite dramatically across time and around the world and in different cultural enclaves. So just for example, what someone thinks of as a way a man is supposed to dress, um, even right now on the same day in history of this globe, um, can be vastly different depending on where you're at in the world, um, what your ethnicity is, um, what your job is, and all those sorts of things, right? And so um, we might tend to think with blinders on, um, with a sort of ethnocentrism or whatever, we might tend to think that the way I think of how a man dresses or how a woman dresses is, is sacrosanct. It's the stone falling from heaven. It's the way it always has been. It's the way it always should be. But in fact, you know, in the United States, for example, red was considered um, a manly color. And so pink was the color for boys until around about the world World War II. And then after that, things shifted. Um, and then pink became more of a girl's color and blue became more of a boy's color. But that's fairly arbitrary. It's somewhat random. It's based on all kinds of weird momentary associations that people have. But then because of marketing and um, other kinds of trends and stuff, we, we start to get that sort of baked into how we think of ourselves in the world so that we assume that things have always been that way, then that there's no other way to be. But in fact, lots of places around the world and throughout history, lots of cultures have had more than two concepts of what possible genders are for people. Lots of Aboriginal people, for example, have a much more sophisticated, um, nuanced um, set of understanding and options for the way people are, and they don't have just the sort of binary gender system. And binary means one or the other that are opposite, um, black or white, strong or weak. You know, we've got all kinds of binaries that are almost always false dichotomies in in life and how we think about things. Um, but you know, gender in the United States at this moment, and for maybe a lot of of history of dominant culture in the United States, has been very binary. And um, as Laura was saying, that has not always been the case in this land on Turtle Island before um, the conquistadors arrived and is not always the, play, the case in other parts of the world even right now. Um, and more and more, I think, um, you know, some spaces in this country or in other parts of the world are being able to ha have more language, more understanding, making more space to understand gender in a more sophisticated, complicated way um, to try to match or approximate how incredibly nuanced and sophisticated it has to be in order to be a thing that applies to seven billion-ish people who are on the planet right now or whatever. And then all the billions of people who have lived before or will live in future. Should we manage to get our stuff together and carry on as humans on this planet? Um, so 
Um, does that sort of get to what you're talking about, Laura? Yeah, and I think I, what I see now, you know, with, with the whole 40 years of life lived, life lived, is that um, sometimes what we are lacking is not the person that is non-binary or transgender or uh, any of all of the letters of the LGBTQ uh, community. But what we have now is an approximation to the language, you know? Yeah. We have ways to call things now. We have ways to express and is not just um, calling people. And I don't mean this another derogatory way. I'm exemplifying, you know, when we were growing up and, and I was always told like, you're, you're just weird, you know, because you want the same rights that other person or you have some <laughs> impulses or you uh, sit on a certain way because, you know, growing up in Mexico, you cannot even sit in a certain way. You have to sit, if you were born assigned female at birth, you have to sit in a way that is different from the boys and you cannot express yourself in a way that is different from what you're supposed to, etc. So, now we have a language to say like, hey, I, you know, that doesn't take off my femininity or my identification or my sexuality, you know, I'm just a person and it's a different, um, I think what those younger generations are doing is they are just really owning the language and their individuality I think as, a, as individuals, people are growing stronger. So I think just an, an example for myself, um, you know, I think, first of all, people might shift around in our understandings of ourselves. Um, and that includes our gender identity and the way we want to express that, the kinds of clothes we want to wear and activities that we're interested in and social relationships we have and all that sort of stuff, people naturally, everyone shifts around in that over the course of our lives. Everyone doesn't wear the same clothes when they're 40 or 70 that they wore when they were three, for example. Um, or, you know, we don't wear the same clothes in every place in our lives um, throughout, you know, the course of a week or a year of our lives or whatever. Um, at least most of us don't. Most of us wear something you know, different to sleep in than we would wear to our jobs, although that might be slightly different lately when a lot of us are working remotely um, and maybe people are wearing their PJs all day long every day or whatever. Um, corona took a lot from us, but it gave us that, didn't it? Um, for <laughs> some of us who have the privilege of working from home or whatever. Um, Indeed. <laughs> um, but, but anyhow, um, <clears throat> So people shift over the course of their lives. Everyone does that. But then, um, you know, some of us may shift the language that we use to talk about ourselves as we are gaining more access to other language that suits us better. Um, so, for example, Laura, I've heard you talk about different terms that you use to describe yourself in terms of your sort of race or ethnicity. And that depends on a whole slew of things, if I understand you, about where you are and who's around you and what language they might know or understand 
or what implications or intimations a particular word might have. And that's true, I think, for all of us for language that we have around gender and sexuality as well. But, um, you know, I lived my whole life having a certain feeling of not fitting into um, gender stereotypes and roles and what people thought of as sort of cisgender norms. But it really wasn't until, um, you know, in the middle of my adulthood that I was around other people who were using words like genderqueer, non-binary, things like that. Um, those words didn't exist where I grew up or where I was. Um, and people just um, wouldn't have understood those words if I had somehow come up with them myself. Um, I, you know, I just didn't have those in my dictionary around me. And so, you know, it was a huge relief for me to be around. Um, in, in that case, I was in um, a community of, of homeless young people, street-based young people um, who um, had this really gorgeous way of thinking about diversity and specifically diversity around gender and stuff. And, you know, when I'm in a group of 20 people and there are like 25 genders between us and a thousand gender expressions. Um, and, you know, that's a real blessing and gave me a lot of space to start to sort of really explore language um, that worked for me that I feel like I really resonate with that defines me. Um, and, you know, that was around the time that these words like genderqueer and non-binary were emerging more sort of on the national scene here in the United States and so on. And um, so maybe let me quickly define what those words mean uh, as I use them, um, just before we go a lot further with our conversation or whatever, um, because we started talking about this in talking about um, how confusing these terms can be and how <clears throat> terms that we have around gender and terms we have around sexual orientation can get confused with each other. Um, and part of that is that we don't really have any words for sexual orientation that are not predicated on the constructs of gender that we have. And if I use, I mean, basically, you know, we have a few words about sexual orientation <coughs> that refer to the gender identity of the person who feels attraction to someone else and they refer to the gender identity of the person who is considered attractive to that person and the main words we have are hetero which means other and homo which means the same <clears throat> and constructs around how that has to do with you know me being attracted to people with the same gender as me or or not the same gender as me which is part of why I love the word queer because it isn't associated with binaries. Um, it makes so much more space for the whole world of um, ways that we can understand ourselves and other people and experience um, attraction of various kinds or not um, and still be who we are and not have our own identity only verified by the people that we're interested in um, having romance or sexual associations with or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, someone of any gender can have any sexual orientation. They're separate things. 
Um, and a gender is who I am. My, my gender identity is who I feel I am in the world. And, you know, that sort of necessarily happens in, in the context of or in conversation with other people's concepts of what gender are in that place and time. Um, and so my gender is, you know, not necessarily visible to other people, not necessarily known to other people unless I share that with them. I express that gender or don't in various ways based on what the norms are around me. Um, but that's my gender. And um, <clears throat> my gender is kind of who I am. My sexual orientation is whom I'm interested in or attracted to romantically, erotically, affectionately, sexually, whatever, if anyone. Right. And for some of us, that might be, um, you know, I might, I have the capacity to be attracted to or have a crush on anyone out there, regardless of their body parts or gender identity. Or for 10% of people, according to Kinsey's studies, I only have the capacity to be attracted to someone who has the exact same uh, outward expression of gender or, or internal gender identity that I do. And that's only, again, in the 1950s, um, we already knew that that was only 10% of people. Um, and that, you know, was in an environment where there wasn't a lot of room for divergence. And still, you know, 80% of us were queer in our thoughts and understanding of, of how we think about other people. Anyhow, so that's how those things get tangled up. The word non-binary is a word um, that I think a lot of people are, are liking or identifying with these days because it recognizes that there aren't just necessarily two genders of people um, who are completely opposite of each other. There's not only two ways of expressing ourselves. Whatever femininity is, has, is not the same for all times and all places. Masculinity shifts around depending on who you are, where you are, when you are in the world. Those things are way messier, way more complex than just either or, right? And so when someone says I identify as non-binary, it means that they don't see themselves fitting into that binary system. So someone who's non-binary might identify as neither male nor female, neither a man nor a woman, or maybe both or maybe something else completely different or some kind of complex arrangement of those identities or qualities. Again, sort of in conversation with the buckets that we're given in whatever societal norms there are right now. Um, and genderqueer is another word that people use, um, which um, also might for some people mean the same thing as non-binary, or it might mean, you know, mostly identify as a man, but I do things that people don't think of as typical or normal for men in this particular place and time that I'm in right now. Um, or sometimes I don't feel like I'm a man and sometimes I do or things like that. So those are a couple of terms that people are using more, more recently. Um, does that make sense, Laura, about terminology and how they intersect? Yes, they do. And it makes a lot of sense to also why more and more people are um, feeling a tune with using queer and genderqueer and 
you know, because uh, I never knew about that percentage that you were talking about earlier. And if 80% of us are not fitting on the binary little boxes, it makes a lot of sense that a lot of a lot more of us folks out there are identify, identifying as queer or fluid in a way. And um, another thing that I wanted to say as you were talking about expression and how diverse it is, it's how the fact that there is room for so many different ways of existing does not erase any one particular way. And I'm saying this particularly for women, for cisgender women who have fought and fought and fought for rights. And in a way, as I self-identify as a cisgender woman, I feel the fear of being erased but when we open up these conversations about all of the other diverse ways that are out there, I, I haven't heard you not once saying that there is no room for women. But this is something we're going to talk more about when we talk about women's rights. So stay tuned, everybody. And I wanted to tap uh, Jake as, you know, time just goes, flies so quickly. Um, even us who identify as queer have been socialized differently. And sometimes we think we are the best ally that is. And what we do is we insert foot on mouth. <laughs> so uh, how, and I think this is a $64 million question. How can we become better allies or not to oversimplify, but how can we be humans celebrating humans? How can we um, support each other that we love each other without stepping on each other's toes or inserting food in mouth? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I think there are lots and lots of um, sometimes pretty easy things we can do to just make more space around us for everyone to be who they are and to express that in whatever way feels natural or self-affirming to that person. Um, and I, I appreciate that you said what you said, Laura, because I don't think, you know, ever giving another person room to be authentically who they are does not take anything away from me. It doesn't erase anything about my own authentic identity or expression. In fact, the more space we make, the more space we all have. And um, so just some really concrete things we can do. Um, Laura mentioned cisgender privilege early on. Um, let me quickly say that cisgender is a maybe fancy word that basically means that you identify as the sex that you were assigned at birth and that you are content to express that in a way that other people around you see as typical or normal or what they expect. And it's not a bad word. No. I have seen so many people, why you call me cisgender? Because you are cisgender. There's nothing wrong with utilizing that word, you know? But, but carry on, pardon me, I interrupted. That's all right. So um, if you're somebody who... 
um, and this is one of the only words that I ever use where if you don't know what the word means, it's more likely that it applies to you. Most of the time, I wouldn't assign a word to someone else. Um, but being cisgender is one of those things where people who are cisgender and never ever have to think about it, which is a big piece of cisgender privilege, um, would never learn that word. It would never occur to them that there's something about them, um, you know, because they just think of it as normal. And a lot of people think of whiteness as normal and um, so on. You know, the world is sort of set up to norm um, other things. Um, like, you know, people don't think of themselves as having a religion necessarily um, if they're Christian in the United States because it's considered culturally normal or whatever. So um, it isn't a bad thing at all. But um, anytime that you can sail along in life and feel normal and the whole world is sort of set up for you to apply to you and the way you think about things, that's a spot of privilege and safety and of opportunities that other people don't get, of safety that other people don't get, of space um, and affirmation that other people don't get. So if you wanna learn more about cisgender privilege, even just sort of reading a checklist of what that might look like, um, often helps us open our eyes to the way other people live and the way other people's lives work. And if I want to not participate in or contribute to sort of oppressive norms in the world, I want to learn about how different people have a different life experience than I have, and then sort of disengage my own power and privilege there. So you can find a cisgender privilege checklist out there and take it. There are lots of just, you can just Google that and you'll probably find one or go to everydayfeminism.com or someplace like that where you can find those kinds of things. Um, but things that are really important are to affirm that our bodies are not the same as our gender and that someone can identify however they like in terms of their, agenda, their gender and that is valid. That is just as valid. Someone else's identity is just as valid as your own identity or as whatever the world's told us our identities and, and roles are supposed to be. So the more we sort of make space for anybody of any gender identity to dress however they feel comfortable, to um, affiliate with any groups that they want to around gender um, and so on, the better. That means any group that's designed for men should include anyone who identifies as a man. Any group that's for women includes everyone who identifies as a woman, however they dress, however their bodies are, or whatever. We need to defend people's rights to self-identity and, and to their own internal integrity around that. Um, but also, um, you know, if you see um, forms that have only two genders on them, um, then, you know, be brave, disengage your cisgender privilege, don't check any of those boxes or make a new box um, or remind somebody that they need to change their form to make sure that everyone can be included, right? Um, make sure that you never ever allow any shaming or humor that's based on the way people identify or express their gender. So we should never shame anybody for what they're wearing, for whether they are more or less feminine or masculine than somebody tells them they ought to be. 
um, or for anything about how they sit or dress or walk or any of that stuff. We should take words out of our vocabulary like sissy or butch unless we're saying them with love in our hearts for people who have embraced those terms for themselves and are trying very hard to celebrate their butchness or their sissiness or whatever, which some people absolutely do, people of all bodies and all genders. And that is a wonderful thing if it is wonderful for that person and it is celebrated by that person. So to me, that's the main kind of allyship action. Just make that space. Do not do norming or policing around gender or gender expression. Um, let it be. Just let people be who they authentically are. And anytime someone's courageous enough to buck the norms and to stand in their own space and their own truth, celebrate that with them, defend them, keep them safe, um, especially in gendered spaces where they're going to experience more likelihood of harassment or negative outcomes, where they're going to have more people telling them that they don't fit or they're not valid or whatever. Um, and, you know, try to make more and more spaces that are not um, predicated on gender or on archaic gender stereotypes or whatever. Those would be my main thoughts. There are all kinds of other things you can do um, for, um, you know, allyship, um, advocate for, um, for, you know, appropriate health care and mental health care um, and support of whatever kinds people need to navigate school and work and life. Um, and, you know, for non-binary, gender queer and trans people to have access to all the things that cisgender people have access to without exception, without harassment, without having their privacy invaded and so on. And don't ask questions about people's medical business or body parts. That's not our business. We don't talk about those things in polite company, right? So um, if that's not a thing that you think your child or your grandmother or your minister or your boss should have to discuss, then don't ask anybody that. And if someone ever feels they wanna discuss that with you and trust you, then they can discuss that with you, but that's not a thing for us to talk about. We should always use the pronouns people need, no matter what they've done to try to explain to you or to try to sort of earn those pronouns in the world. We should always use the name someone identifies as and wants used, never refer to any other name for them, even in their history um, and just defend people's right to have whatever kinds of medical interventions they want or to not have to do those if they can't or don't want to and they still get to have whatever identity or expression they want regardless. Yeah. So that's a bit of an ex exploration of some allyships. I think there are so many things, Jake, that you have shared with us that overlap with all with other um, minority identities that we carry i personally care you know obviously the indigenous the fat the women the immigrant etc and i am shaking my head here like it's almost falling because it's like yeah don't ask questions if you are not invited to and something that i recently recently heard from a activist was um, about disclosure and they had this brilliant uh moment of opening their mouth and saying 
cisgender people don't disclose. So why right. we, why should other people disclose? And if I'm having um, intimacy with you, then you already know. And other than that, I don't need to disclose anything that is happening with me, which coincidentally, it also applies to like your ethnicity or um, your um, cultural background. Like if it doesn't apply to what you're doing or your uh, executive performance or whatever is uh, irrelevant. And it's as simple as not checking boxes. Believe me, it works. Because if you look at forms nowadays, um, they have removed Spanish from uh, nationality or race or whatever. And I mean, they're still irrelevant, but <laughs> those those little things, they're not little, they're huge and they work. And um, listen, listen to people. And if somebody say their pronouns is they, use that. And I know it's uncomfortable and I know it's difficult and I know it could sound um, awkward at first. And I know it takes time for you to get used to, but we get used to everything. If the pandemic has taught us something is we get used to new things all the time. So why not call somebody by their name? especially by the pronoun, especially like in the pagan community, you know, we are so used to like, oh, now my name is, and I'm just going to use the, I don't know, uh, sunflower. So now my name is sunflower and address me as sunflower. And we do that without batting an eye. And why not do that for people who tell you my gender, my, my pronoun is they, or anything different from what you think yeah, you're perceiving the person. I mean, we could talk about this topic for another three hours, but I think as casual introductions go to serious topics in social justice, this is a gem. And um, normally I will say thank you, Jake, for being on the show, but you are part of the show, so no. <laughs> now still, thank you. And uh, I think, I'm sorry, I think we are uh, calling calling it it for this one is there anything else you need to add or you wish to add before we close for tonight just thanks for listening for trying to sort of expand your own mind about yourself and other people um give yourself and other people space and grace and everyone will benefit from that um and, you know, if there are things that are confusing about what I've said, feel free to reach out to me, but also just do some research, you know, check out some sites where, you know, places like Everyday Feminism have, you know, cartoons and short little um, articles that are really easy to digest. Um, and so um, check it out, you know, and um expand your mind, expand the world so that it has more space for all of us. Thanks, Laura, for bringing up this topic and for working with me on this. Of course. Thank you. And thank you, everybody who has listened, whether you listen live or you're listening later to the reproduction of this podcast. Um, just very quickly, remember that there are over 500 hours 
of podcasts on the CSMP archives, the Circle Center Enable podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and other platforms where you can get your podcasts. We are going to have our regular programming on Lunatic Mondays the rest of the month. The first is going to be always on Spanish, Lunes Lunaticos. And the third will always, for as long as Jake can deal working with me, we will have this social justice series. So thank you all for joining us on the very first one. And cheers to, to many because it seems to be an endless list, Jake. You know, so let's let's continue. And to everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you. It looks like I don't want to go, but I have to go. Never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connecting the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash csnpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings.